Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. Some people, you know, write their own music and it's jang, 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 jang. I had a girl, jang, 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 jang. And she was good, jang, 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 jang. Well, you might sell millions of records, but that doesn't mean you're a musician. Hi, I'm Tori Amos, and I'm a musician. So I'm going to take you to one of my favorite places. This is um, the kitchen. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Efren Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on this episode, we're talking about Beulah Land, a B-side from Tori's fourth album, From the Choir Girl Hotel. David. Hey, Eve. How's it going? I'm nervous. A little bit nervous. I'm a nervous pervis today. A nervous pervert today? A ner- well, always. Notorious, notorious perv. Why are you nervous? Because this is one of Tori's most lyrically impenetrable, some might say indecipherable songs, but it's also one of the songs, much like Never Seen Blue, that even just hearing the title, I want to start singing. Like every time on the last episode, you said Never Seen Blue, I want to do the backing vocals. Never Seen Blue. And this one, I just want to go so i'm gonna try not to do that i'm gonna get out of my system here at the top of the show how are you Uh, i'm great you're nervous because you may sing yeah (laughs) i don't know why i just said it like that i just like twisted my hair around my finger and i was like yeah don't make me sing i might sing on this episode (laughs) that reminds me of one of my favorite vines here i'm playing it here why are you making me sing i hate singing when do i even come in i don't know (laughs) (laughs) You know I love playing a vine in a TikTok in an episode. I know. I'm nervous now too, I guess. Oh no, it's contagious. Yeah, when I can't decipher something or when I find something impenetrable, at least I am confident that I'll come into a recording session and you'll have penetrated it Mm -hmm. and you'll teach me how to penetrate it. But if you don't know what the song's about and I don't know what the song's about, then what are we doing here? We're going to find out. And you know what? This is a good exercise for me as a new graduate student. I have to get comfortable with not knowing everything Mm. right away. Yeah, that's true. You do. And I'm a perfectionist, so I'm going into this song knowing nothing. And I'm okay with that. Beginner's mind, Eve. That's great. And I'm happy for you about that. Thank you. Let's be like water. Be like water. Metal water would. Like Bruce Lee and Tori Amos. 
like what? Unlike you, maybe, I've spent all morning trying to get to the bottom of Beulah land so that I could, you know, I hate to not come prepared and I hate to not have anything to bring to the table during our potlucks. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing research all morning on the concept of Beulah land, the word Beulah. I've listened to every live version of Beulah land, which they're not that many. I'm not patting myself on the back or anything. You got confused for a second. You interviewed a doula. I did. I was like, oh, can you tell me more about Doula land? <laughs> Is that in Tordor by any chance this is our last stop in tordor oh my gosh We've gotta find doula land i didn't even think about that yeah we're coming to the end of tordor we're coming to the final exit exit 75 have you seen the movie contact with jodie foster i have you know how they build that like giant contraption using the blueprints from the aliens mm-hmm. i feel like here in tordor we're like nearing the end we're at the edge of the map we're gonna round a giant mountain and there's gonna be this giant contact contraption all set to launch us into space Straight for Venus. That would be great. Send us right there. I hope we don't get lost in space, if you know what I mean. I do. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Shh, quiet. I, however, feel like we're at the end of Adventures in Babysitting. Like, after we've made it down the highway and the parents are driving behind us, and Elizabeth Shue runs into the house and starts, like, mad cleaning, throwing yes. the cereal upside down in the cabinets, throwing all the popcorn in the trash. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting anxiety just hearing this. It's like the end of Ferris yeah. Bueller, too, when he's running and trying to, like, beat his parents home. Exactly. God, we were always trying to outrun our parents in the 80s. Remember that? I don't. I'm too young. Uh-huh. I'm too young to understand what the 80s, right. 1880s, I don't. It's all the same. It's all the same to me. Right, right. But for those of you playing Drive All Night Bingo at home, we've already referenced Adventures in Babysitting in Act 1 of this episode. So <laughs> check. And my refusal to accept my age. Yes. And all of our refusal to accept your refusal. Uh, someone should already be shouting bingo. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, David? How have you been since our last episode, which just came out? We are in overdrive. I know. I barely had time to recover. I listened to it, made my French toast, and then hopped on this train set for Beulah Land, I guess. Really? Yeah. How are you? Well, that's exciting. I'm pretty good. I'm in hyper-editing mode. I might have carpal tunnel from all the editing I've been doing lately, but who cares? Yeah, you should ice that. Get a brace. I'll push through it. I'll perform the surgery if you want. Yeah, that'd be great. I would appreciate it. As long as you work with my insurance. Unlike every mental health professional in Los Angeles. I know, right? We have so much coming up the pipeline with the tour coming up next year and this brand new amazing record, Ocean to Ocean. This is the first episode we're recording since Ocean to Ocean was released. And I love it. What do you think? It's a new dawn. It's a new day. Happy birthday, baby. And by baby, I mean Ocean to Ocean. And I mean birthday, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we just released an another episode called Home Ocean to Ocean, which is the gays first takes on Ocean to Ocean. So if go back and listen to that. I was really proud of that episode. And I'm glad that we all pulled it off on album release day. I know we were there at the crack of dawn, our eyes bleary. We'd been up all night listening to the album. Yes. Anyway, when you heard Beulah Land for the very first time on September 15th, 1998, what were your immediate thoughts? Take us to that place. So unexpected. Right there with Never Seen Blue and Jackie. And as you kind of talked about on the last episode, these were three piano ballads. And I was kind of surprised by the inclusion of the gospel choir. And again, this was like that time when we didn't really get a lot of information ahead of time, particularly about B-sides. So we might just get titles. And then we'd have to go get the physical copy of something with no idea of what we were going to get. And it was kind of like, what is this? It was a little out of left field, too. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. 
Yes. To me, on the single, on the Jackie Strength single, this stands out as the outlier of the three. For the reason that I do believe that it was recorded in the Pele era, I don't believe they got a gospel choir out to Cornwall for one song. I just don't believe that would have been a possibility. And also the way she sings it, it's kind of wild. There's a little reckless abandon in her voice. I feel like it's very Pele era. And so this might be the one that I do believe was recorded in the church, but worked up in Cornwall. It's possible. I like I don't feel as strongly about this as I do Cooling and Never Seen Blue, for example. But there are no credits for this song, right? Well, there are no performance credits, but there are just like musical assistants, Rob Van Tuen, photography, Greg Copeland, produced by Tori Amos, recorded and mixed by Mark Harley, like those kind of credits. So we can't absolutely 100% confirm that it's the same gospel choir from way down. Like it probably is, but we don't really know. They sound identical. <laughs> the feeling I get when I hear them both is identical. I know. Well, we could also argue that Sweet the Sting was recorded during this era, too, and she just saved it for the beekeeper. So let's not get carried away with ourselves. I am going to argue that. Oh, you are? Wait till we get there. Yes, I'm going to argue that. She knocked that song out in 1996, and she was like, oh, my God, it's too sweet. Tori, you've done it again. The world is not (laughs) ready for this. She's always withholding sugar, honey, all the sweetness. Also, Sweet the Sting. She was like, no sweeteners. We're going to get diabetes. Actually, of the two songs, Never Seen Blue and Beulah Land, Beulah Land took me the longest to appreciate, to enjoy, to really get into. But the love I have for Beulah Land is stronger than the love I have for Never Seen Blue. You know, I would rank Beulah Land higher. Shh, don't say that in front of Never Seen Blue or behind Never seen blue we're behind it now but she doesn't need to know she's probably not listening to this episode because she's so man obsessed that's true she's got man fever yeah join the club so there's something that is so impenetrable like you said earlier about this song it's very much signature tori amos it's like what are you talking about and it's going to take me years to understand this can i also just say i find beulah land really hard to say for some reason, it makes me like lapse into like drunk voice. I think because of all the L's, it's like blue la land, blue la yeah, blue land. It's hard to say. Yeah, <laughs> it is hard to say, but it's fun to sing. Beulah girl. Also, inexplicably, we don't know why we both decide to become share when singing the song. It's true. It's, it's true. Like, but I'm experienced, babe. You wanna go to Beulah land? <laughs> but I'm experienced, Beulah. <laughs> I'll show you my rubber. Should we talk about our guests on today's episode? Because Beulah Girl, do we have guests? Are they the residents of Beulah Land? And is that adjacent to Munchkin Land? Having worked our way through most of Torador here on our final stop, we're bumping into some old friends. Are you ready for this? Who day? First, we have Eric Reed. He's here to talk about his love of Beulah, his intense love of mm. Beulah Land. Next, we have Natalie Lodico Bond, and she's here to talk about her intense love of Beulah Land. Can I just say how much I love Natalie Lodico Bond's name? Yes, you can say it. It's so fun to say. It's so lyrical. Sometimes I roll my eyes at like how generic my name is, David Anderson. Do not insult our patrons. Patron supporter David Anderson from Europe. Sorry, but as a David Anderson, I can say it. As an American David Anderson. (laughs) That name does not rain flavor. Let's be honest. I'm also thrilled because we have an old school tour fan on the episode, Krista. You remember Krista from your old touring days. I do. I was going to say old school. We were on that old school bus together. She has a very interesting story about Beulah Land to tell us, and we're going to do some dissecting, some lyric dissection with her. Mm-hmm. And last, but certainly not least, is one of our favorite names to say, and we say it every episode. We have one Miss Shay Stymack. Mrs. 
Mrs. Shea Stymac. <laughs> Sorry, boys. She's taken Mrs. Shea Stymac. <laughs> Shea Stymac. Shea Stymac, who is also our archivist, our librarian, our historian. And when we started recording this episode and David said, I have no idea what's going on in the song, and I got panicked, I relaxed. I rested easy because I knew Shay had it covered in the notes. Yeah. So thank God for Shay. You did some deep breathing. You centered yourself. I did. We got a shasted gun. <laughs> and a shawait sang. And a sweet shang. <laughs> thank you, Shay, for all that you do for this episode and all of them. You're the best. And I can't wait to talk to you today. Yes. If you need anything from us, Shay Wen. Just, Just Shay Wen. <laughs> Oh, that was beautiful, David. Was that considered a harmony, or did we just sing the same note? I think, I don't know. <laughs> Let's just move on. Let's not think too much about it. Should we say hello to our Patreon supporter? Welcome to Beulah Land. Welcome to Beulah Land, Matthew from Australia. He has upped his pledge because he believes in us, David. Maybe I'll find me a sailor, a Matthew Taylor, Thomas. And as always, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, young and less young. <laughs> Beulah Land by Tori Amos is an original song. Like, let's be clear, Tori Amos wrote this song. Was anyone debating that? No, but there is a famous song called Beulah Land. Mm. It's a famous biblical song, and that's what we're going to play here, just to get everybody on the same page, you know? Do you remember Moo Land from the 90s? Yes! Oh my god, let's play that here. <laughs> Oliver, roll it! It's it's clip two. It's always clip two. <gasps> There's not a day that goes by <laughs> in my entire life that I don't think of the KLF. Do you think we should request a mashup of Moo Land and Beulah Land next to her? <laughs> no. Yes. Just try and stop me. And, you know, it's not a request unless you dress up at the meet and greet ahead of time. So we'll be there in our moo-moos requesting boo-boos. Well, I will be doing all of Europe with Peter, who rocks a moo-moo and a caftan, and I can't wait to do it alongside her. When do you think that'll happen? Well, it might be cold. It might not be the right environment for a caftan. Oh, boy. You're already walking it back. Well, I would, but it was too cold. It's just Europe. You know how Europe can be. Get a winter moo-moo, for Christ's sake. A winter moo? Like, what, a fleece moo-moo? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it'll add too much bulk. Just line it. I won't have anywhere to hold my recorder for when I interview people after the show. You've got an excuse for everything. Yeah, I do. Just make the person interviewing hold it. It's worth it to see you in a moo-moo. Sure. Anyway, can we move on, please? Sure, 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 sure. Here is the original gospel hymn written by Edgar Page Stites, set to music written by John R. Sweeney. <laughs>
Do you suppose it's possible to be both a good Christian and a good woman? No. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. All right. Because a good Christian is the whole idea of religion I find completely limiting. The idea of Christianity, they didn't pass down the female part of God. It has nothing to do with goddess energy and the balance. It's not about that. And um, there's a lot of shame in, in the major religions. I'm much more, my mother's part Native American. And I really believe that unless the religions expand, um, they just won't serve the people anymore because people are going to the well, to the source, not to just a few thousand years ago. But where is it right to go into your unconscious and just be all these things, these programs that we were programmed with? aren't serving anybody anymore. And um, I think it's much more about wholeness, the male and the female, and most religions don't honor that. So to answer your question, I think that um, to be a whole woman, whole, I don't think that there is a religion that supports that right now, no, or a whole man. I don't believe that. How was your break, David? It was breakful. I feel broken. I'm wrecked. Oh, how was it for you? I'm broken. God. It just barely sunk in while we were on our break that we are almost completely done with this era. Oh, man. I haven't allowed myself to process the sadness of that or the grief of like leaving Choir Girl behind. I know. You only know when you know this. It's true. And I only felt this way one other time in my life. And it's when we left Pele behind. Me too. The last time I read from B-Side Magazine, May, June 96. Exactly. Which technically is the only thing we've ever left behind because we are redoing Little Earthquakes. We're going to do Under the Pink. So we've only finished completely one era in five years. And God knows by that point, we'll be ready to do Boys for Pele again. Well, I already texted you something the other day that applied to both Boys for Pele and Choir Girl about Spark Mm. and the ice cream assassin. And I was like, wait, did we talk about this? Oh, no, (laughs) we have to do it over again. But we're going to do another Choir Girl wrap up, though. So there's still time to get that in, I think. Yeah, exactly. After this episode, we're doing a Choir Girl wrap up episode closer to the end of the year. We're done with the main feed for a little while. And then we're headed back to our Patreon only feed for a few more Little Earthquakes B-sides. So... Get ready. We're going to give you all some sweet dreams for Christmas. Visions of sugar plums and Mary's will be dancing in your head. And then obviously Venus is next. And it's visions of concertinas and riot poofs. I had a vision of Tina. She was more than you've given to me. And this is just the episode where I'm going to sing all the time. Um, No, no, no. That wasn't a question. No, no, no. <laughs> it was a statement. Rounding out our Tordor vacation. We've spent two years in Tordor. It's been fun. It's a long trip. But looking at this map map of Tordor, where would you put Beulah Land? Would you put Beulah Land near the OG's Tower? Would you put Beulah Land near the Standing Stone? I'm wrecked. You know, it's funny. I was going to say I would put it just to the north of OG's Tower because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm wandering around in the far north. It's like, oh, jeez. Oh, and then I round a corner and it's Beulah Land. How did I get here? Hi, Beules. I don't know why that makes sense to me. Right there next to OG's Tower. All right. How about you? That's kind of where I would put it too. Only because when I was looking at the map, that's what struck me is where it should go. Mm. And you know, if you're wondering the path, right before you hit the OG's Tower, you're in the No Hello Zone. Mm-hmm. Do you think Tori has banned all Adele recordings from the No Hello Zone? <laughs> yes. If you're like, hello, nope, this is the No Hello Zone. Regular Adele CD burnings in the No Hello Zone. Mm-hmm. 
Beulah Land appears first on the Jackie Strength CD and cassette singles released September 15th, 1998 in the United States and unknown in the UK. I don't think there was a UK release. Did you buy it for yourself for your birthday, an early birthday present? I didn't think of it that way, but I did buy it on the day of release. I think I even may have purchased it the day before on the Monday. (gasps) Someone broke street? Albuquerque, New Mexico does not care about street date. We go rogue. It's a lawless land. It really is. But yeah, for some reason I had this memory when I was putting together the Never Seen Blue episode that I had purchased it a day early. Like I was surprised when I went to look for it that it was there. Is that why you went and you were like, fingers crossed, maybe it'll be there? Well, for this brief period of my life during the Choir Girl era, I lived in Albuquerque. I'm from Las Cruces, but I lived in Albuquerque and there was this warehouse music close-ish to my house that I would visit regularly. And that's where I got all of the Choir Girl singles and stuff like that. They always were pretty stocked with everything, Mm Tori. Who was their, um, sorry, I can't think. Who was their general manager? I don't know. (laughs) Can I speak to the manager? I'm just wondering who did all their ordering. Who was the Tory fan? I know, right? That was like Las Cruces. We got to order up. I said Albuquerque. Sorry, Albuquerque. Not all New Mexico cities are the same, David. (laughs) We next see the song on a piano, the box set, released on September 26, 2006, on disc E, the bonus B-side disc. And it, I guess, is it remastered? Oh, probably. Oh, probably. Probably she would. Just to at least, you know, get everything at the same volume and pitch. Pitch! So it's not too jarring. Pitch! The only other time we see this in Tori's catalog is in 2007 when she releases it on One Leg and Boot, the Dallas, Texas, November 24th, 2007 performance. And let's hear that. This song only ever appears in September. What do you think of that? She's stalking you. She's always like around a corner getting ready to jump out of a cake for your birthday. It's me, Beulah. Happy birthday. I mean, that's not entirely true because that Dallas performance was in November, David. Oh, wait, sorry. I was looking at the piano date. I'm sorry. Never mind. Theory debunked. But you'll always be my (laughs) September birthday, baby. Thank you. You know when we don't know what the hell is going on in a song, we love to turn to our favorite encyclopedia, Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. We're going to lean heavily on them today, as we did in Humpty Dumpty. Good thing it's thick. It's real thick. This is from Wikipedia, and we'll have to share the duties of reading this, David, because... Because you don't want to say Hefziba? Well, that was one word I was going to have to sound out. (laughs) Beulah is a land referred to in the biblical book of Isaiah. It is the land of the Jewish people, the Israelites, to which they must return, an earthly paradise. The land of Beulah is referred to in various hymns and other works. The only known ancient reference to a land called Beulah is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 62, verse 4. In biblical Hebrew, Beulah means married and is applied to the land that the people of Israel will marry. Mm. You will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. In the allegorical Christian novel Pilgrim's Progress, written in 1678 by John Bunyan, Beulah land is a place of peace near the end of the Christian life on the border of the celestial city. The river of death separates Beulah from the new Jerusalem, the city on a hill. And do you want to read this quote from Pilgrim's Progress? 
I would love to because I had to read Pilgrim's Progress in elementary school. In elementary school? Yeah. Well, you know, I went to that really scary fundamentalist Baptist elementary school. So this was the kind of crap they made us read. They're like, you're eight. Read Pilgrim's Progress. You know what I was reading at eight? What? The TV Guide. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You're like, what time is Roseanne on? (laughs) Now I saw in my dream that by this time the Pilgrims were got over the enchanted ground and entering into the country of Beulah, whose air was very sweet and pleasant, the way lying directly through it, they solaced themselves there for a season. Yes, here they heard continually the singing of birds, and saw every day the flowers appear in the earth, and heard the voice of the turtle dove in the land. In this country the sun shineth night and day. Wherefore, this was beyond the valley of the shadow of death, and also out of the reach of giant despair. Neither could they from this place so much as see Doubting Castle. Here, they were within sight of the city they were going to. God, I want to be out of the reach of giant despair. You know what? I believe you've read that before. Mm -hmm. You read that as if you had it memorized. You know what else? What else? Reading this and seeing it as an adventure. Do you think Pilgrim's Progress at all inspired the Choir Girl map? In the land of Tordor? It's possible. Mm-hmm. Why not? Or at least the idea, you know, the idea. And also a little bit of Tolkien, obviously. J.R.R. Tolkien? 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 Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Tolkien. Tolkien. Tori's look has been described as Tolkienian. Torkean. Recently. So what do you think about all that? I did not know, well, any of this really, um, but that Beulah means marriage or is associated with the idea of marriage. I think that may prove interesting as we dive into, if not the line by line, just sort of orienting ourselves in terms of where this song falls. I promise you that is a fruitful journey because I read this earlier today and I was like, "Uh uh-huh, and it reveals a lot. Mm. Were you doing that out loud to yourself? Always. You're supposed to call me when you have epiphanies. You can't just like, uh-huh, mm, by yourself in your room. I'm in my office, thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, that is where you do your research. What do you think of all this? Well, I guess we just found out you have big thoughts, so we'll save it for the line by line. No, but I think that Beulah is obviously a place to strive for, right? And your land will be called Beulah, and your land will be married. It just seems like a paradise, right? Mm -hmm. Like heaven. It's also been called heaven. It's also been called paradise. It's been called marriage. So the idea of Beulah land is this place to strive for, I would think, right? Is that how you interpret it? It is, in fact, the promised land, an earthly paradise. What's your Beulah land? Also known as Orlando, Florida. Orlando, Florida, really? (laughs) I don't know. A house behind a gate where I can go off the grid and not have to deal with people and wear pajamas and watch TV all day. Really? Yeah. I could call my estate Beulah Land. Maybe I will. I hope that you get an estate so that you can call it Beulah Land and I can visit Beulah Land. You can, yeah. How about you? I don't know. My Beulah Land up to this point in my life has always been like a city, you know, a place where I can like walk out of my front door and do any number of things at any given moment where I don't have to drive and I could just walk. You have arrived. I've arrived. I feel like I am where I'm supposed to be. But with the upcoming tour, I'm like, maybe my Beulah Land is like great. Like I would have loved to have purchased Tori's home in Ireland (laughs) before it was remodeled. That seems like it would be Beulah Land, don't you think? Yeah, the staging was off. That's why you didn't put an offer in. Exactly. I would have. I didn't agree with the changes. <laughs> but like, that to me seems peaceful and beautiful and like a nice place to die. Right on the spot where she recorded Donut Song. Yeah. <laughs> she killed me with that song. It's only appropriate that I die there. She did. She was strumming your pain with her fingers. If you head over to bibleresources.info 
someone asked, what is the meaning of Beulah Land? And I don't think they were talking about Tori Amos's song. Can you imagine if Tori responded? <laughs> She's like, this is not what this means. Yeah, let me correct this. Yeah. Get my Sharpie. The word Beulah is only mentioned in the Bible once in Isaiah 62.4. In context, Isaiah 62 is a prophecy about Israel and a future time when Israel will be restored to a position of honor in God's sight and for the nations to see. Isaiah 62.4 says, you shall no more be termed forsaken, nor shall your land be called desolate anymore, but you shall be called Hephzibah, and your land be called Beulah, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married, which they term as owned and protected by the Lord. So like a promised land, like a heaven space. Isaiah begins the verse by prophesying that Israel will be forsaken and desolate. We know this happened at the time of Jesus's first advent when the nation of Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Jesus came initially to Israel, not the Gentiles. Jesus told the 12 disciples, have you ever just started saying words and you know that they're English and you know that you're making full sentences, but you have no idea what you're saying as you're saying it? Every day of my life. That's how I feel. Jesus told the 12 disciples the following. These 12 disciples Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Oh, God loved Israel and had made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Amos 3.2 says, is Amos a book in the Bible? Yeah, it is. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, Tori Amos 3.2 says, you, Israel, only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your inequities. None of this is making any sense to me. Well, there are many references to marriage and brides and bridegrooms throughout the Bible. Jesus is kind of compared to a bridegroom. The way he gives himself up on the cross is connected to the way a husband and wife give themselves to each other. So I think that's all sort of entwined and represented here. Mm. I feel like this is the way Tori would write like a wedding song for herself. She's like, should I perform Evergreen? No, I'm going to write Beulah Land. First dance. Beulah Land, I'm longing for you. And someday. I mean, there are parts of it that feel like a dirge, but parts of it that feel like a marriage song, mm. you know, like a communion. The feeling I get is like part dirge, part communion, part dirge, part love romp. That's how I want my wedding to be. I would never have expected less from you, David. <laughs> I'm glad I don't disappoint. I want to get your opinion on something. This song, for me, it's always been super impenetrable, right? And for that reason, I kind of put it in the same category as Sister Named Desire. It's like languid. It's hard for me to understand what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. 
But I elevate the song a little above Sister Named Desire because I actually, in this song, feel like it's the best of what Tori Amos does at this time in her career. I would say this is the love child of Father Lucifer and Home on the Range. And here's why. Father Lucifer, all about the church, right? It's her working through the religious stuff that she knows so intimately well. Same as Beulah Land. This is based on a gospel song, basically. And Home on the Range is a different POV on this American story, whereas Beulah Land is a different POV on this Bible story. So I think it's like the love child of Father Lucifer and Home on the Range. What do you think? That's very complicated layering. You don't even necessarily mean sonically. No, no, I don't mean sonically. I mean theme and like lyrically. Okay. Canonically. Yeah. I can see it and I can hear it. (laughs) And I can read it if we're just talking about the lyrics on their own. But yeah, I agree that this is a snapshot of what Tori did best, specifically during the Pele era. We even get that, dare I say it chesty howl chesty howls in there chesty howls this is from the daily record may 15th 1998 tori says i don't have to try in the least to shock people my beliefs are sufficiently shocking because we live in a culture where passion and sexuality have been replaced by shame we are miles away from our hearts our feelings i grew up in dirt poor hillbilly country if you were a sensual woman you were in league with that which is unchristian like My songs aren't just about me either. That's a misconception, but I am the character in my song so that I can identify with that person, even if it is the devil. That's the craft of songwriting. I'm not just a confessional songwriter. Do you find her beliefs to be sufficiently shocking? Could you stand for them to be like a little more shocking? Or is that sufficient? Well, now we could. Now I could stand for her to be a little bit more shocking. But this is 23 years ago, you know, and this stuff wasn't being talked about in mainstream media. It wasn't being talked about on television or in music. She really was kind of holding it up on her own. Even other female musicians that were at her level popularity wise at the time or even beyond her popularity wise at the time, with the possible exception of Madonna in 1998, I can't think of another female musician who was really grappling with Christianity or sexuality and doing it in mainstream music. I know. There was a time in the 90s where two Marys couldn't marry each other. And Tori was always trying to marry those Marys. And now we've got women getting married all over the place. And it's like, yawn. Marys get married. I mean, Alanis Morissette toyed with it a little, but all of the other people that were signed because of Tori Amos, like Vanessa Carlton, Michelle Branch, Fiona Apple even, who writes amazing songs, wasn't talking about this stuff. Do you, you think know? Forgiven was Alanis's answer to Tori Dumb? Yes. You know I was Catholic, girls can be. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, I do. I'll die on that cross. Got a bu, got a bu, got a bula. <laughs> I mean, there are really no quotes about this song, except for ones that we read in the last episode, but we should read them again just to preserve them here as well. Agreed. This is from TV Guide Online Chat, August 5th, 1998. Oh my God, your favorite book, TV Guide. I've read every installment. (laughs) Do you ever write songs that don't fit in with the rest of an album? What do you do with them? And Tori says, on Jackie's strength, I have two unreleased songs that are coming out as part of the CD single, as part of that Jackie package. That Jackage. The Jackage. Obviously, Jackie is one Jackie and never seen blue. And the third track is called Beulah Land. These two songs were also written for Boys for Pele 
and recorded question mark for it but they weren't right so i held them and now they feel current they feel like their time is now I do feel like Beulah Land was recorded during this time. I just want to reiterate mm-hmm. because of the gospel choir. I know that they were working on so much for Choir Girl, but Cornwall is six hours outside of London. Martian Engineering also is in like not, it was like a new studio, but it wasn't entirely ready for people to hang out and spend nights there like it is today. Like people can rent the studio out now mm-hmm. and like stay there, but not at that time. So I can't imagine that they would have brought the gospel choir, which is at least four to six people, out out to Cornwall six hours to record one song. And the choir vibe wasn't really what was going on in Choir Girl. The choir vibe wasn't present in Choir Girl? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. These were solo choir girls. Choir girls who had ditched the choir and gone to the hotel. Tori defies expectations always. Maybe. Maybe they recorded choir on all the songs. Mm -hmm. It's possible that this was recorded during Choir Girl era, but I believe in my soul. Just because of how she, like, there's that abandon in her voice, you know? That's a nice... 96 thing. I think you're probably right, and I'm not going to make that argument, mostly because I'm just too tired. Wake up! But um, <laughs> we've talked about it too much. But I would like to know if she had this song in the can, which she probably did. Why didn't she put it on Tallulah, for example? Oh, this would have been beautiful on Tallulah. I know, but why did we get Amazing Grace Till the Chicken, which is really like nothing? So there's something that is so present in the reverb or the echo at the beginning of the track, and I'll point it out when we get there, that to me screams Choir Girl. It's the way Choir Girl was mixed. I agree with that. Yeah. So I think maybe it boils down to, my educated guess would be that it boils down to there wasn't enough time. You know, they were wrapping production up and still she was like oh guess what donut song's coming we got to work on that one so i feel like there was a few like that that they just didn't get around to well but it wasn't going to be on the album she could go back and finish mastering stuff i mean she re-recorded hey jupiter from the ground up so she couldn't have mixed beulah land only because i think press starts and then she's like all over the world like flying around you know therefore not in the studio but why couldn't mark have done it while she was doing press mark or bt she's like while you're doing the tornado mix of tallulah can you also just mix Beulah? Oh my God, I didn't even really think about the rhyming. I was thinking about it sonically, but we didn't get Tallulah and Beulah. Tabula? Ah, Tabula, Tabula. Oh my God, we need a mashup. I will reveal to you, we're playing a really hot Beulah Land mix at the end of this episode. It is hot. Don't touch it. I, th- I could dance to this song, honestly, with the right beat. I could dance to any <laughs> song with the right beat. <laughs> don't make me, don't make me dance. Don't make me come to Beulah. Don't make me. Shall we get to the line by line, David? All right, line it up. Thoughts? Um, I feel like on some level this represents like an end point for Tori and maybe that point is healing. Like someplace she's trying to get to where there will be some sense of completion. 
And that just brings to mind the word healing or some kind of redemption. What do you think? Yeah, like an end point. I like the way you said that, but a promised land or heaven, whether it is we're talking about marriage, you know, Mm -hmm. let's say for a second, we are talking about marriage. We could not find any evidence of this online, but David and I both remember her registering a batch of songs. I remember it as being between Pink and Pele. You remember it as being between Pele and Choir Girl, where the batch was called Beulah Land and other songs, right? And there was speculation at the time that the album was going to be called Beulah Land, but we couldn't find any evidence of that with all of the forums that have been shut down and the impossibility of archiving, like the way bulletin board systems are, you can't really archive them or search them in the Wayback Machine. So it's really hard. We could we looked for that info, but it's just an interesting thing if we think that she's talking about marriage between 94 and 96 is different than if she's talking about it between 96 and 98. Yeah, and we don't have a source, so maybe I'm just like remembering something that didn't happen. Someone incepted me with Beulah Land. I remember it too, though. Do you remember the way she talked about the follow-up to Pele possibly being about vampires Mm -hmm. before she decided what Choir Girl was going to be? I feel like the same was happening between Pink and Pele. Before Pele took shape, she was thinking ahead to her next album and sort of collecting songs prior to having all the experiences that really inspired a voice for Pele, and this is where her head was. She was like, I'm going to keep exploring these kind of biblical themes, Beulah Land, and I seem to remember her saying that, aside from the song, she at one point was considering Beulah Land as a title for her follow-up album, but I don't know where that came from. I don't know either, (laughs) but I remember that. I remember it. It's in my bones. We're like, there was this movie with Sinbad where he played a genie, and it was called Shazam, (laughs) and Tori's follow-up album to Under the Pink was going to be called Beulah Land. We all remember that, right? Okay, great. Well, yeah, I remember that. And Nelson Mandela is still alive. Uh Uh-huh. No, he died in prison. Oh, yeah, he died. Yeah. You know, I want to explore this as several different options. I want to explore this as if, since we both remember it, but we have the details like slightly wonky, I want to explore this as if it were written between 94 and 96. I mean, obviously, it was conceived of in that time right? Mm -hmm. Because if it were recorded for Pele, that's when it would have been around. I mean, I don't know. What if there were an album called Beulah Land, like a lost album? Should we write it? The Tori Amos Lost Record? Yeah. Yeah. If this album had come into existence, this is what it would sound like. Beulah There is no doubt in my mind that when Tori says Beulah Land as the promised land, that she's not speaking about a relationship with a man. There's no doubt in my mind. I believe that she is. I think you're probably right. Got a wasted gun. Got a wasted gun. All right. I'm just going to say it. I feel like this is a phallic symbol. Absolutely. Yes. Wasted gun, a spent gun, a gun that has been discharged, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Do you think this has any connection to me and a gun? It's hard not to think that, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard not to think any reference to a gun in her work is not a reference to me and a gun. Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure, unless we want to even look at me and a gun as the gun is the phallic symbol. It is a threatening weapon. Mm -hmm. We never even really discussed that in that episode. So in that way, yeah, they are linked. But we maybe didn't see that in that episode, that the penis is the weapon and that's why it's the gun. Mm -hmm. Wow. This song is already paying dividends. (laughs) Let's also look at this through the lens of any connection it might have to Never Seen Blue. 
Okay. Well, do we think one exists? Do we think she put them both on the single because she happened to have these songs left over? Or do we think there's any sort of thematic tie? There has to be a thematic tie because I'm sure she has other songs that she could have if she just wanted another song. Mm -hmm. And not only as I was researching the live section, which we'll get to, not only on one night that she played Never Seen Blue, the next night in Secret Time she played Beulah Land. So there's a connection. There has to be. I think they both kind of embody moving through something getting to a new place in life and like a place of healing maybe and we talked about healing past trauma within a relationship so i think mm -hmm. both of those songs kind of address that i love that licorice man i'll sum you up licorice man i'll sum you up this song does feel very tied to Boys for Pele for me in the way she kind of spoke about the South and the honeysuckle. Don't make me say it. The honeysuckle and the rhododendrons. Um, <laughs> oh, I've missed you saying that. Me too. But I could really sort of hear this nestled amongst Way Down and Tallulah. And something I don't necessarily associate licorice with the South, but I do hear. I don't know why. That makes me think of like a Southern gentleman somehow. Yeah. A licorice man. Mm -hmm. I can't decide if there are negative connotations in this, like the candy man, like a licorice man. Mm -hmm. But when I searched for Southern licorice, first thing popped up was a homemade Southern licorice recipe. It's a homemade Southern black licorice. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there must be something in licorice in the South or the smell of sweet anise or the smell of anise seed or the taste of it. I also found out in my licorice <laughs> research that too much black licorice, according to Fox 59, too much black licorice can kill you in some cases. So mm. watch out, people. There's a spooky and a dangerous side. Do you think there's any element of race here? Yeah, that's an interesting thought. And we sort of talked about that in terms of the storytelling on Little Amsterdam. I'm just wondering if this song is tied to that narrative as well. And anyway, that's so interesting because the gospel choir does appear here and she plays it throughout the South. Whenever she plays it, it's usually in the South, not mm -hmm. always, but usually there is something obviously very Southern running through the sound of the song. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, you know, I guess it is a hymn of sorts and we even have the choir on it. Exactly. It's based on a hymn or it's like also a hymn. Mm -hmm. Yes. Licorice man, I'll sum you up, thumbs up. I wonder if the licorice man is the man with the wasted gun. So if the licorice man is someone sweet that she had been with, but now he's got a wasted gun, she's summing him up and she gives him a thumbs up for what they've done together. Like the sex they've had, it was great but I'm moving on. Hmm, I like that. I'll sum you up. Thumbs up. That's a more positive review than the man with the golden gun got. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? So we prefer wasted guns over golden guns. I do. Got something in that saying. First, I have to say we're operating off of the official lyrics in the lyrics book, which lists this line as got something in that sand, but I swear I hear got something I'm not saying. Got something in that saying. I'm not entirely convinced that she's not doing a little rewrite here. Got something in that saying. Bulagera, you bitch me. Got something in that sand. Beulah girl, you've been hitching me up. So, you know, obviously it's specifically sand, not dirt. 
I don't know why that distinction is important to me, other than the sand is not at all evocative of kind of a southern landscape to me, if that's where we are. So that makes me either think of the beach, which I'm also going to toss out, or the desert. And maybe given the kind of biblical references here, we're talking about wandering in the desert. I love that. I think it is the desert. You know, the south is the desert is, you know, she put a Rasta man in Juarez, Mexico. So it's all kind of the same to her, like Mm -hmm. that idea. So I believe that the sand is representing this desolate landscape. But what I hear in this song is that this is a dialogue. This first verse is a dialogue. And now someone's talking back to her. And the licorice man maybe is saying to her, Beulah girl, you've been hitching me up. Like there's something about you. There's something in your sand or there's some, you got something in there that's been making me crazy. Like, I just don't know how to quit you. Mm, you know. I wish I knew how to quit you. Mm-hmm. We also can't say for sure whether or not this song may have sort of started to come together in Taos during Under the Pink, which, you know, we also very much associate with the desert. That's true because it is the desert. Mm-hmm. So in terms of hitching me up, you mentioned getting stuck on something, tripping over something, getting tripped up on something. But we also mm-hmm. say getting hitched as a way of saying getting married. Yeah, for sure. If we want to take a little bit of context, if this does have anything to do with Eric, what she had said on stage throughout the 94 tour, you know, how that was falling apart and how she's mentioned like doing whatever she could do to like hold on to someone, right? Then maybe that's this licorice man's response to her. Kind of like, get off me. You've been hitching me up. Does that make sense? Maybe it doesn't. It makes sense in my mind. Let's just establish this. We think Tori is the Beulah girl. Yeah, come on. I think so. So what does Beulah girl mean? Like wedding girl, girl who wants to get married. Yeah, I think so. Little girl who always dreamed of her wedding day. Yeah, every day's her wedding day. Yeah, and you've been fantasizing about getting married to me, but it ain't gonna happen. You've been hitching me up. Yeah, you know, during Under the Pink and into Pele, she talks about soulmates come and go and what you thought was gonna be your life falls apart. And she'd also talked about throwing away her birth control pills and wanting to have a baby. So I just feel like Beulah Land kind of represents this dream or this vision she had of her life in the future that slipped away from her and she's still trying to reach it. I love that. That makes me almost think too, like maybe this is, it doesn't necessarily have to be a dialogue. Maybe she is singing to that little part of herself, you know? Mm. Maybe she's singing to the Beulah girl. Like she's a Beulah woman, but now she's singing to the Beulah girl. I know she says girl all the time, but it probably just sits well in the song as opposed to like Beulah woman or Beulah lady or whatever. <laughs> but girl and imp- Beulah lady. Beulah lady. <laughs> but girl implies youth. And Beulah girl makes me think kind of like you said of like this young girl who wants to get married and kind of what a romanticized, idealized fantasy version of what that is. And sometimes Mm. if you get too stuck on that or too stuck on an old pattern and maybe like an old pattern of being attracted to a certain type of person that's not ultimately going to get you where you want to go, I feel like there's like a little bit of this for some reason woven through for me. Like she's getting kind of hitched up on the trappings of youth or the kinds of things that she used to pursue that were ultimately just making her life difficult, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And again, kind of like the way we talked about in the last episode, Mark came to her at one point and said something like, why are you going after guys like this? Like, why are you in these kinds of relationships? So I feel like that's kind of like the Beulah girl. The Beulah girl has unhealthy patterns. Yes. I love too that she uses the word hitching me up because it doesn't sound positive, even though marriage is like you said, we use the word hitched, getting hitched. But here it sounds like whoever's being hitched up, it's not a good thing. 
And I imagine, too, that's another way of saying, like, getting stuck. Yeah. I feel like it's that annoying thing when you walk past a doorknob and you hit it just right so that, like, your shirt gets stuck on it. And you get kind of yanked backwards in a comically embarrassing way. Exactly. You got hitched up. Uh Uh-huh. We need to mention that at a Los Angeles show in 1998, Krista, she wrote out the lyrics to Beulah Land and had Tori correct them. This was before the lyrics book came out, so nobody knew heads or tails of what the hell she was saying. So she wrote it out, and she's like, hey, Tori, can you correct these, please? And honestly, like, she accounts for it on her website in great detail. And Tori took a Sharpie, although Krista corrected them in red on her website, which I thought was cute, but put the correct lyrics. And in this section, in the lyrics book, what does Tori say? You've been hitching me up. But Tori corrected them at the time to be, you better hitching me up. She doesn't even know. She doesn't even make sense. You better hitching me up. I love that she changes things as she goes. When she puts out the lyric book, she's like, well, I wish I'd said this instead. So let's just say that I did. And that's exactly what I'm saying with got something I'm not saying. <laughs> let's say I did. And from now on, I will. Got some candy and a sweet thing. Got some candy and a sweet sing. Again, I'm glad we brought up that Krista thing because, again, this is what it says in the lyric book. Got some candy and a sweet sing. Like, oh, la, 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 la. That's very sweet, David. Mm-hmm. As was mine, even though you didn't note it. Your sweet, dulcet tones, of which we all are familiar. Thank you. <laughs> But in the corrected essay from the meet and greet that Krista brought her, Krista had guessed that she was saying saying or thing, got a sweet saying or got a sweet thing. And Tori was like, I agree with both. I'm like, wait, that's not how lyrics work, honey. What are you saying? I remember I definitely ditched a class where we were having a quiz to attend that meet and greet. I should have just brought my homework, my quiz for Tori and had her fill it out. Like, after you're done correcting the Beulah lyrics, can you just take this quiz for me, Kay? Thanks. Yeah, bye. really. <laughs> Thanks, Tori. <laughs> she was in her full Roseanne makeup from having done that appearance on Roseanne. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where Glow kissed her hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Enchanté. Enchanté. <laughs> <laughs> Kiss the ring, bend the knee. So we have to assess as it is in the lyrics book, but got some candy and a sweet sing. Obviously, candy. If a gun is the male anatomy, I feel like the candy is the female anatomy. Mm, candy lies. Do you agree? I do. But also, I don't know, we sort of joked about this at the top of the show, but there's just an element of sweetness here. So that could just mean like sweet lovin', not necessarily Virginia. Is that what you're saying? Well, I feel like the candy is the Virginia and the sweet sing is her voice. Like, I've got some things going for me. Yeah. Or this, like, I got something to offer. Yeah. Give me religion and a lobotomy. Give me religion and a lobotomy. I feel like she's saying you can't have one without the other. Or I feel like one is the other. Like, yeah. It's all about brainwashing, yes. you know, in both instances. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of like confusion. It's funny because Beulah Land is a religious term and there's a lot of confusion. It seems surrounding religion, not confusion, but very specific subversive thoughts surrounding religion in her work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's no small thing that she's using the term Beulah Land, which is again, a religious term to, I think, exemplify what she hopes for, what she's trying to get to, whatever that is for her, you know? But it's clearly not about religion because she makes it very clear. I don't know if this is just another way of saying religion is the opiate of the masses. like Just like a way of controlling people and making them docile. But either way, to me, it's sort of saying, as you indicated, brainwashing or just like you can't be a person of faith 
or believe certain things about, let's say, Christianity in this case, because we're talking about Tory, without sort of putting aside rational thinking. Like, if you think too hard about it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But there's also a comfort in religion in the sense that it's presented to you as truth. And if you just do this thing or believe this thing, you're going to be fine and you'll go to heaven. So there's sort of like a surrender and like a peace in that too. Like, oh, I know the answers or I know how this works and I can just like relax and not think too hard anymore. I read this comment online on, I don't even remember where I found it, but it was like on a Beulah Land you know, someone had posted the lyrics somewhere, like one a website had the lyrics and someone commented on it. And they said, if you ask God or the cosmos or the universal spirits to send you a sign to let you know that a higher power does not exist, and then you receive a reply, the existence of a higher power is completely confirmed. So yeah, give me religion and a lobotomy, LOL. So I don't know if they're pro-Toremos or like what? <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's someone on YouTube who sometimes who used, to, who used to comment on Tori's videos until Tori turned Tori turned comments off on her YouTube videos years ago. But there was someone who would comment like Tori Amos is leading children to the devil. <laughs> like they were worked up about it. Mm. So I think this might be that person. Do you know the song "Give Me That Old Time Religion"? I know that song, that old time rock and roll. Mm, but how about "Give Me That Old Time Religion"? <laughs> is it the same as "Old Time Rock and Roll"? No, it is not. But do you want to talk about "Old Time Rock and Roll"? Because you seem to be pretty into it. It's my favorite song of the moment. Is yes. it? Anyway, what about "Old Time Religion"? So there is a traditional gospel song dating from 1873 called "Old Time Religion," or in parentheses before "Old Time Religion," give me that kind of like Black Dove January. But that spring to mind too because the lyrics are "Give me that old time religion, give me that old time religion." So I feel like maybe that's woven through here too. Give me religion, but also a lobotomy because again, you can't really have one without the other. Oh, interesting. You think it's a reference to that song? Possibly. Would she know it? Of course. Oh. Oh, for sure. Give Me That Old Time Religion is a traditional gospel song dating from 1873 when it was included in a list of Jubilee songs. It has become a standard in many Protestant hymnals. There you go. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. We will pray with Aphrodite. We will pray with Aphrodite. She wears that see-through nighty and it's good enough for me. I'm shocked I don't know it because you know how much I love Jubilee songs. I know. You love a Jubilee. And also Jubilee is your favorite X-Man. There's no proof otherwise. Beulah Land, you beautiful whore. Tell me when I don't need you anymore. Mm. This to me was the most poignant part of the song. Remember I told you when I first heard it was called Marriage This Morning and I started going through the lyrics? I'm like, damn, she wants to get married. And you know, she was talking about it even after Under the Pink, like even during that press cycle. What's next for you? Taking some time off, getting married, having a baby, you know? Mm -hmm. So as someone who's addicted personally to men... I would love to know when I won't need that anymore. This idea of being with someone or this seductive idea of a happy ending, mm -hmm. I can see why it would be something that she's calling a beautiful whore, this enchanting idea of the happy ending. Tell me when I don't need to sacrifice everything that's happening, that's really happening, or overlook everything that's really happening just to attain that. Like, tell me when I don't need that anymore. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And, you know, there are aspects of self or coping mechanisms that maybe they're not healthy, maybe they are, but they serve you. 
in a way for a time and then you reach a point where you need to let them go or they're not working for you anymore and I'm sort of thinking of the way she talks about leather or just kind of the aspect of herself that not only was pursuing unhealthy relationships but in terms of sex specifically she had to kind of become like a sex worker in her mind to get through it as she was working through trauma so I kind of feel like that might be what she's referencing here and sort of moving through that pain to something else, which might be everything that Beulah Land represents. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've been kind of getting into the Condo Marie method of organization and folding my clothes and cleaning things out. And I don't know how familiar with that you are, but when she goes through the process of deciding what to keep and what to give up, you know, you hold it and see if it sparks joy. And if it doesn't, and you decide it's something you want to get rid of or give up, you thank the object or whatever it is for what it gave to you and how it served you, even if it was something that was kind of ultimately negative, it served a purpose for a time. And I kind of feel like that's what's happening here. Tori's holding this aspect of herself, maybe this older aspect of herself that she's ready to give up or move away from. And she's kind of thanking it for how it served her or what it gave her or even how it allowed her to survive. But then she's ultimately moving on to something else. So... That's so interesting because when she was going through the press cycle from Choir Girl talking about whenever it would come up that she'd gotten married, she would always say, I never thought I would get married. Right. But knowing I really truly believe that even though she signaled or said, I never thought I would get married because she didn't want like the Christian church in her bedroom, I still feel like little Tori Amos wanted to get married. I still feel like she was holding this like happy ending. So it's interesting to, because I know that method of organizing, we've talked about it before and everybody knows about it, but never really marry that with the idea of like putting away old beliefs that you have reorganizing your frame of thought or reorganizing your interior life I just took it as like do I still need this book here or do I still need to have like Ibsen's entire all of his plays I'm never going to direct an Ibsen play you know Mm -hmm. like do I need it that's how I always took it but yeah that's really wise good work David we also have to acknowledge that you know little Tori as you mentioned had a crush on Jesus Mm -hmm. and maybe wanted to marry Jesus so And maybe because he was the Messiah, part of that crush on Jesus had the adverse effect with her always holding up men to this like Messiah-like place. Well, yeah. And once she sort of distanced herself from Christianity and the promise of that, she was still looking for a savior beneath those dirty sheets. Oh, you're right. Oh, my God. Said that somewhere you're going to get something here. Because she's Tori, you think she's pointing somewhere when she says something here? Yeah, but I think she would point to her chest. No, like you don't. You think she'd be pointing where the birdie's been? No, I think for this moment, you're going to get, you're going to find something here. Because she's at least acknowledged at this point in the song that she needs to give up the idea of Beulah Land. Tell me when I don't need you anymore. No, she's giving up the idea of the beautiful whore, not Beulah Land. Well, she's calling Beulah Land the beautiful whore, isn't she? I don't think those thoughts are necessarily connected. Beulah Land, line break, you beautiful whore, whoever she's talking to, maybe herself. Maybe herself. That's a completely different take than I have. Because if she's calling herself a beautiful whore, tell me when I don't need to be the whore anymore. Yeah. That makes total sense. And now I see what you're saying. But if Beulah Land is the beautiful whore, the idea of a happy ending or the idea of being with a man forever 
in Paradise with a Man is the seductress. Mm. Then tell me when I don't need that idea anymore. Tell me when I can stand on my own two feet. Yeah, that makes sense to me too. That's another way of saying victory is an elusive horror. Yeah. This dream, this kind of romantic dream is sold to everyone. And in that way, the dream itself, Beulah Land, is kind of promiscuous. Mm. I love that. Said that somewhere you're going to get something here. So I think she's pointing at her heart. No, I think you're right. So you're right in the middle and then I'm you. So you're right in the middle and then I'm you. What does that mean? So you're right in the middle. Right in the middle, kind of trapped between worlds, trapped between a rock and a hard place. Not where you used to be, but not where you want to get to yet. Mm-hmm. And then I'm you. I feel like maybe whatever she's saying there or whatever she's not saying there never made its way to the lyric sheet, you know, because then I met you is what I think she's saying. And then you and something is coming back again. Like I'm getting myself back or like this passion is coming back or mm-hmm. like you are the one. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that sounds right. Yes. I also feel like this is a song like a lot of the Pele stuff that was maybe written on the spot mm-hmm. or heavily improvised, but that really applies to this section. Oh, for sure. When she goes off, usually when she does that, especially live, she doesn't know what she's going to say next. I'm not saying there's nothing being said or there's no meaning to this portion of the song, certainly, but I don't know that we need to dig too deep. I agree. It's like sonically pleasing and she's just kind of like going off in the moment, but the fact and how she's going off in the moment, the fact that she is going off like this and the quality of it or the the way it sounds is why i'm convinced this is pele era this is her in pele she doesn't do this kind of going off like this in choir girl era mm-hmm. i agree yeah somewhere you're gonna get something here so you're right in the middle and then i'm you something is coming back Maybe I don't want to go to where you're not. For some reason, that also makes me think of lines like, turn one last time, love to watch those cowboys ride, or I only just turned around. I got a place to go. There's like a farewell happening here. And I almost feel like she's looking back over her shoulder like, oh, I'm moving on from this thing or saying goodbye to this person, but I'm a little conflicted about that still, or just maybe scared about the uncertainty of where that's going to take me. Oh, yeah. There's definitely a farewell. I hear that. Like, I don't want to go. This whole bridge is like that freak out is like, you can't make me go. (laughs) Please, I don't want to go. I can't go. You said so. And it's kind of like, I don't know. The uncertainty is what is scary, you know, Mm -hmm. an uncertain future. Like, obviously, time heals all wounds and, you know, you move on eventually. But like in the moment of like having to face something completely unknown to you it's terrifying mm-hmm. david the devil you know beulah land gonna find me a worm and that's this is coming straight out of the lyrics book gonna find me a worm w-o-r-m the tequila worm is the first thing I thought, but obviously like trouser snake, but they're not called trouser worms. Well, if they are, it's not very flattering. 
Do we think a worm is the something in the sand? Maybe. Oh, yeah. Probably not. But I associate worms, you know, with being in the dirt. That's interesting. Or sand. A sandworm. Especially if it is in that sand and there's an implication of like burying your head in the sand looking up. If I'm going to find the worm, then your head is buried in the sand, which means there's something that you're not facing or something you're not looking at. For sure. So beautiful Gonna find me a worm. I lean towards the tequila explanation. That has never occurred to me before, but of course, you're so right. Really? No. I've never really analyzed these until today, but if I've had to have, I would have thought like she's facing the bottom of a bottle. Mm. And that intoxication is what bathes this body on down. Please to this body on down. So we have to address the lyrics as Tori corrected them, but that's not necessarily the way they appear in the lyric book. So in the lyrics that Krista has written out, Tori corrected it to be, gotta find me a worm, a place to be this body on down. But as you'll hear in the live section later, sometimes she says bathe, sometimes she says be, but sometimes she says to beat this body on down very clearly. Are we sure? Yeah, she'll like hit it. A place to be. But sometimes she also says every day. So every day. But yeah, that's true. But whenever she says beat that I've noticed, she'll say a place to beat. Like, you know how she hits her T's? Yeah. She'll like make it clear. She actually she's does saying. it. And she's like, give me a beat. And then she yeah. hits herself. Okay. I, I think she's talking, give me some kind of beat, but not that kind of beat. <laughs> so what does that mean? And then is that place to beat a separate thought from this body on down? Or am I going to beat this body on down? And is that That's like, what I think. Is that like I think beating your face to fill? No, I think it's like, you know, again, a sexual reference. Oh my God. Like a place to beat off? Yeah. Heavens. I am a pearl clutcher. I almost just did it. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that that didn't even occur to you until I had it to say didn't. it. Wow. I was thinking of like physical like violence. powdering her face. <laughs> I do think this is a highly sexual song and you know she gets really freaky outy when she's talking about sex as a way to I think mask the things that she's saying as a way to divert attention from the lyrics then she's able to drop some lyrics and not actually say what's coming to her mind which is what I think happens in this freak out here in the middle like she starts to go off to distract and not have to say what she's thinking she does it in four mark right when she just like suddenly randomly freaks out and then like is able to like switch up lyrics or like drop words and like you never even notice because you're paying too much attention to the theatricality of it you know but are you saying that she's trying to mask something sensitive and personal or she actually is like fudging those sections because she doesn't know what she's gonna sing next so she's like i'm just gonna go big there are specific moments in her career and i think this is one of them in this song where there are specific moments that come to her. I think she is improving in that bridge freakout. Mm-hmm. There's an element of improv and like she's just saying whatever comes to her mind as we discussed. But what came to her mind is maybe too dirty or maybe something that's silly or like something that she didn't want to say. And so she just like diverts attention from that by doing something vocally that would fill the space. I want to know what Tori considers too dirty. Well, clearly not beating this body on down. I know. Got to find me a place to beat off. Okay, you go do that. Yeah. And I think on a rubber board while she's waiting for the man to just say when, right? She's floating around on a boogie board masturbating in the swamp. (laughs) Yeah, with the crocodiles watching. I do want to go to Beulah Land. Getting drunk on tequila. Because clearly this whole last verse, she's wasted. Isn't this actually the plot of Song of the South? Is that why Disney put it in the vault so we can never see it? That we should make into a short film. (laughs) (laughs) Beulah Land Gonna find me a world 
place to be is body on down Got a rubber board and a crocodile Gonna float past you I think she's got a rubber board, which is like a surfboard and a crocodile, and she's laying on the swamp, and she's gonna float on past his home, and she's never gonna let him go. Just say when. Just tell me when you're ready for me and I'll be here. Mm. I'll be drunk on this surfboard, fighting off crocodiles in the swamp, floating past your home with me and my worm, bathing my body on down. That's my rewrite of the lyrics. This is so Boys for Pele visual. BFP... photography artwork it is absolutely including another mention of a crocodile yeah but she's like the swamp witch with her leg up on the chair covered in mud and then she's gonna go floating downstream Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that rubber board is the mattress and they're just gonna throw that mattress into the water (laughs) she's just Mm -hmm. gonna float (laughs) in those white pants Mm -hmm. just hand her a bottle and float her on down you're right this is the most pele visuals verse there ever has been Mm -hmm. and i also imagine like the beginning of the pirates of the caribbean ride at disneyland when you're kind of in the bayou and there's like fireflies and the sounds of crickets and you go past like the old guy in his rocking chair on the porch and his little shanty with the pipe that's what this feels like to me i'll have to take your word for it oh come on i'll have to take your word for it you've seen pirates yeah (laughs) <laughs> I haven't been on the Pirates ride at Disneyland. There was that light on the frontier, remember? Oh, yeah, that ride that had the light on the frontier. Yeah, on a dark night, we're going to be there. Well, take me. Get us tickets. Okay. What is your favorite lyrical moment in a song that is so dense with beautiful imagery? Beulah land, you beautiful whore. Tell me when I don't need you anymore. Mm, interesting. How come? Tell me why. After our discussion, you know, not saying we nailed it or we're right or I'm right, but I just love that idea of moving on from a phase of your life or an aspect of self that no longer serves you, whatever that may be. Yeah, I love that. I don't love doing it, but I love you talking about it. You don't have to do it. We can just talk about it. Yeah. That's true of all the best things in life. Exercise. Let's not do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've decided not to move on. I'm just going to... Ever? Ever. I'm completely comfortable where I'm at. Great. Yeah. Right here in 1998. I don't want to ever be where you're not. No. Or Tori. Exactly. Beulah Land is the 90s and we're never leaving. I mean, we only have one more album though in the 90s. That's true. To Vita and back. We'll take our time. 11 years for those 11 tracks. Well, Daytura is going to have to be cut into like five episodes. Yeah, we'll have to do that in 10 parts where we research each flower in the garden. Yeah, we're going to have to heavily research every single flower, exploring the Latin names. This is the Frangipani episode of Daytura. Frangipani? Frangipani. Weeping Subaku? My favorite Chocolate lyrical cherries moment. Chocolate cherries sorry. <laughs> my favorite lyrical moment in this whole song, I have three. One, give me religion and a lobotomy. Like that's just, you have to like give a nod to that line. It's not the best line she's ever written, but it's clear and it's fun. Classic Tori. Got enough guilt to start her own religion. Give me religion and a lobotomy. God, sometimes you don't come through. My second favorite is maybe I don't want to go to where you're not because I always feel that inside. And then my final favorite lyrical moment is that whole final verse starting with Got a rubber board and a crocodile gonna float on past your home. Say when, just say when. Just say when. 
Like the character in this song, I too would float on by your house and wait forever. I had so many misheard lyrics in this song originally. For example? Like rubber board sounds like rubber bullet to me. Yeah, yeah. It's like one syllable and she manages to make it into like three and also end it with a T. Yeah. It's like rubber bond. <laughs> of course, I think everybody misheard. Gonna find me a warm place to bathe this body on down. Mm-hmm. Like that was a misheard lyric for me mm-hmm. too. This is the section of our show where we are inviting super fans of Beulah Land in to tell us what this song is about or what they believe this song is about since they've loved it longer. And the first person we have to do that is Natalie Ladico Bond. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Eve. It's so good to talk to you again. Welcome back. You are a Beulah Land super fan. Is that the truth? Yeah. The first anything Tory that I bought was the Jackie Strength single, which... I still have. That was the first thing you bought? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) So I listened to that just on repeat. I don't even know if the disc will play anymore. Well, if it doesn't, you need a refund because we were sold a bill of goods that these CDs lasted forever. Forever. Yeah. (laughs) So I am like Tori and then I am a pastor's kid. And like I really related to Tori's use of religious iconography as almost like a childlike home base for her because I had a similar thing when she'd talk about being little and in her bed listening to people having a Bible study downstairs. I had that same experience as a small child, but I knew that she had a negative experience and I had a really positive experience. My parents were both first generation Christians who didn't grow up in any weird shaming Christian culture. So they were just like excited about the freedoms that they felt Christ brought to their lives. So when she talked about give me religion and lobotomy, I was like, she's had a really negative experience. I can't relate to that at all. But I listened to it a lot anyway, because I just love the idea, like from Pilgrim's Progress, he talks about Beulah Land being like a place of home. And one of my favorite books in the Bible is Isaiah, which is a prophecy book, and it's got a lot of poetry. And that's where Beulah Land is mentioned in the Bible, about being a place of home and healing and comfort. I was just intrigued by the way that she was talking about home and comfort but also talking about how it hurt her. This is really interesting because you have this religious perspective that we don't have. So what do you think she's relating Beulah Land to? Like, what's your interpretation of her Beulah Land? I went to college. I moved from Michigan, where I was just a very ethnically very white person. And then I moved to the South, and I started understanding what she meant. For the first time in my life, I would have conversations with people that I thought were also Christians who would tell me that I was going to hell because I was a Presbyterian. Like, oh, that's really interesting, and that's very shaming, and I was very intellectual about it because my parents are also therapists, so I was kind of raised to be a little bit impervious to shame. And then I married a Southern boy, and through therapy and just trauma work, we've realized the amount of religious shaming that was used to control him and his ancestors. And I was like, oh, that's what she's talking about, because Beulah Land was originally sung in the Methodist Church. So she would have grown up singing it, like, all the time. So when I look at the lyrics and she says, Beulah Land, I got a wasted gun, I think about her being in a situation of being in, in defense. You know, I think of um, me in a gun. I think of her being in a position where she's fighting for her life. But then you go down a little bit and she's like, tell me when. I don't need you anymore and how she ends the song with just say when just say when and how it's so hard to shake those fundamental moments that are like her home in her heart and she's very drawn to spiritual stuff to historical perspectives of the church she's very against southern missional colonization christianity so being married to a guy from the south 
I started picking up on her Southern references more, like, you know, the biscuits, hominy, put it on the plate, girl. And then I'd come back to Beulah Land, and I just hear that longing for feeling safe as a child, that determination to become her own person as an adult and find a sense of safety and peace outside of what she was told was supposed to be her safety and peace and like an appreciation for it. Like she doesn't want to completely get rid of it. She wants to bathe that body on down and she's got that rubber board, you know, she's like floating down, but she's also got a crocodile. So she knows that even at her most relaxed, there's a crocodile in the water and it is coming for her. Well, Natalie Ledico Bond, your interpretation is completely different than mine and David's, which that is okay. And that's what's beautiful about this music. And I suspect that it's going to be completely different than Eric's following you because this song to me is so impenetrable. It's like, what is going on? So I think we're just going to present all four of our interpretations to Tori Amos and just say pick one. Which one? Please but let us know. What's your favorite lyrical moment? I really like the juxtaposition of give me a religion. She sings it with like a very choir conviction and then she's like and a lobotomy mm-hmm. like she's doing stand-up just the subtlety like her sense of humor in her lyrics as well as the tenderness it's brilliant to me i feel like it makes it more poignant yeah it's really just like a charming little uh, mood piece you know yeah yeah natalie lodico bond where can people find you online i'm at photo lodico ph O-T-O-L-O-D-I-C-O. And of course, we will link to it in our show notes at songsoftoryamiss.com. Natalie, obviously, we'll talk again. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode and bringing your deep religious background to us on a platter. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Natalie. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Straight out of Chicago, Illinois, we have on the line Eric Reed, a Beulah Land super fan. Hi, Eric. Hi, Eve. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm thrilled for you to tell me everything I don't know or understand about this song. So start (laughs) dumping wisdom on us, please. First of all, tell us how you fell in love with this song, what this song represents in your life, and how you came to it. So it's kind of funny, actually. When I first heard Bayula Land in 1998 with my Jackie Strength single, I didn't like this song at all. (laughs) I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I loved Never Seen Blue. I loved Jackie Strength. And this, which is an anomaly. And so it took about, I want to say about 12 years for me to actually understand something about this song. And I was living in Phoenix. And I went past a restaurant called Bayula Land. And I was like, oh, that's funny. And so at the time, living in Phoenix, I was very much a fish out of water. I did not like being in the desert. I didn't understand why I was in the desert. And Beulah Land just kind of hit me out of the blue. And so here's what I kind of put together. Beulah Land is a religious place. And I don't know if you're aware, Eve, but Tori's a minister's daughter. Oh, is she? So, <laughs> Yes. So that might have something to do with the beginning of understanding this song. <laughs> so I think Beulah Land is this place, but it's also a woman in this song. And so what I think is Tori is playing this masculine, I kind of see him as a cowboy, older figure, maybe like an unforgiven kind of guy, and just kind of going along, doing what he can. And that's why I think the certain lines like, you know, Beulah girl, you've been hitching me up, calling her a beautiful whore. And I think it's taking the idea of this heavenly place and turning it more into a woman as this song goes on. <sighs> and lastly, I think that 
her character, the narrator, falls in love with her but can't be with her. And he says to her, hey, I, I don't want to be where you're not, and I, I want to be with you, but I can't. And so I think the character succumbs to not being able to be with this person and says, you know what, I'm going to be here, I'm going to float down, and when you're ready, just say when, and I'll be there with you. I love that. I, it never occurred to me that she might be playing a completely separate character. It never occurred to me that she might be playing a man even. But this interpretation resolves for me that very first line, Beulah Land got a wasted gun, because I know that that is a phallic reference. I know that that is, yeah. uh, you know, about the, you know, the male sexual organ being spent, fired possibly. So it totally makes sense. Now, how did this reveal itself to you? Well, it started with me starting to like the song. And the part that the song really gets me is, you know, the little freak out bridge part mm-hmm. with the something, something. That yeah, whole thing. love it. <laughs> Living in Phoenix, I was like, gosh, I feel like a fish out of water here. And so that's what started me is bridge part. And I kind of just worked my way back and just started to look at the lines and piecing a thread together. And I also think being in the desert since that's where it really hit me, I feel like that really helped me envision this story more, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it, <laughs> because it feels very, like, landscapey. It feels very, like, hot. The song feels very hot. I'm going to stand beside you with, when I got that Jackie Strength single, this was my least favorite song of the three. <laughs> Is it, for you, was it because it was meandering and, like, it's really hard to penetrate still to this day, but that's exciting to me now. At the time, I was like, what did she say? What is happening? <laughs> There's no melody. There's no structure. Yeah. For the longest time, honestly, I thought it was an improv of some sort she just recorded. Mm -hmm. And I still don't know if I don't think it was an improv that she recorded. Mm -hmm. But we know that it's part of the Never Seen Blue uh, and that all those songs being recorded supposedly for Boys for Pele, et cetera, et cetera. So who knows? But it did take a long time for me to figure out a story that I felt confident in. Well, I love that story, and I feel confident in it now, too. I'm excited because this is the section of the show where, because we don't really un- we didn't really understand the song, we've invited a ton of Beulah fans, Beulah whores, or Beulah girls, as I call them, <laughs> to give us their interpretation. And this is one that I give two thumbs up, a solid green check mark to. This is really great. Now, what is your favorite lyrical moment in the whole song, and why? My favorite lyrical moment is Give Me Religion and a Lobotomy, okay. and I feel like many people do. And I think it just has to do with how I feel about religion as a whole and the idea of, you know, if you have religion, you might as well just have a lobotomy because you're just following along with other people or sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like all brainwashing. Absolutely. So yeah. I, I think that it's very tongue in cheek. Uh, I'm still convinced about one line in the sign. And she says, like, if you look online anywhere, you'll see that it says got some candy and a sweet sing. And I'm convinced it's saying. Like, the saying is, give me religion and a lobotomy. But that's just what I think. It's funny because later we're going to have an interview with Krista, who will shed some light on that line. So good observation. But I have a dispute with another line where she says at the beginning, in the lyrics book, she says there's something in that sand. But 
I swear to God, I hear there's something I'm not saying. And in the very first performance of it, Ooh. we'll play it later, she says, there's something I'm not saying. Then it appears in the lyric book as there's something in that sand. And then once the lyric book is published in 2001, she only ever says there's something in that sand. Because, you know, she goes back to her own lyric book, as sure. was proven in 2001. So she changed it right. by reading it, reading the wrong lyrics. That's what it became. <laughs> she doesn't know. Totally. <laughs> never. She never knows. Yeah, she's trying to chart herself as we are. <laughs> I love it. And I think it's just a, it's a great line. And it's one that really stuck with me. Even when I was at the point I was processing the song, I still appreciated that line. Mm-hmm. What were you doing in Phoenix? <laughs> I was teaching, actually. Uh, I am a teacher and I'm teaching currently in Chicago, but I went out there to teach for a few years. And I will say every time I've seen Tori in Phoenix, it's been a dynamite show. It has been. She played Hotel Solo in 05 in Phoenix. <laughs> for me, for me, you know. Yes, she has. <laughs> Great. What's your favorite musical moment? And then your favorite vocal moment? Um, I just like the piano. It's just her hitting those keys and just banging on them. That's my favorite musical moment. She's just so in it. I just love it. It's so passionate in the story that it, even if you don't know what she's singing about, you're paying attention. Yeah. And then my favorite vocal part has to be her just wailing. Something is coming back again. That part is just bonkers. I love it. It's just so raw and so intentional. Well, I love this interpretation. A gold star from me. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Where can people find you on Instagram and Twitter? Uh, You can find me at Mr. History 82 at both. Are you a history teacher? Is that why? That is exactly why. (laughs) And, And you know what? You've taught us a little something here today. So thank you for being on the show. And we'll talk to you again. Anytime. Thank you so much. Well, should we listen to Janta? 
Janta? Janta? Yeah, we should. You know, Yanta gets a lot of credit for his playing, but he doesn't get enough credit for his font choice, because I've always liked that font that he uses. Mm-hmm. Good eye, Yanta, and good ear. Kind of girly. And you can see his hands in the video. I know, this is rare. It seems that he's wearing a nice wintry sweater, which you know I like that. He's taken. <laughs> Pretty simple at the beginning, seems to be setting the scene, the lay of the land. Yanta has a cat. I was noticing that too. I'm trying to gauge where uh, that cat would rank Euland. Top 10 maybe? Seems to be enjoying it. those songs where her playing is not following the vocal melody really and if we think of this as largely improvised again that's wildly impressive to me that she can accompany herself <laughs> in that way i'll just never get over it i guess yeah it seems to be just like sort of filling in this space around her vocals mm -hmm. seem him like at all to you yeah for sure i was just thinking like i wonder if this is like the reason she's able to accompany herself like this and it's not following her vocal melodies because maybe is she playing another hymn mm -hmm. is this just like something from the church that has like been adapted into beulah land I'm not even sure at what point the kind of freak out came. Just her... Exactly. Like the freak out was all vocal and it, yeah. it just, there was like a little climax. <laughs> but yeah, you would expect the piano to be wild there, but it's yeah. like it's not. I feel like this is one moment where her hands were giving her voice the side eye and they were like, what's going on? What's... You're in a different song. You can calm you down. You okay, girl? Girl, you okay? <laughs> you got this? You can support Yanta on patreon.com slash Yanta, where he's been through almost every Tori Amos song, done an instrumental cover of almost everyone, including new songs from Ocean to Ocean. Also, if you're really into sheet music, you can go to figuretoryout.com. It's a sheet music collective curating over 20 years in the Yahoo group, Figure Tori Out. You have to be a member, but it's free to be a member. So that's figuretoryout.com, patreon.com slash Yanta. 
It's wild the talent there is within the Tory community. I agree. In these transcriptions, which are leagues and leagues better than any official sheet music mm-hmm. that we ever got. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was by design? Do you think Tory was like, mm, I don't want to give them the keys to the kingdom with like really accurate transcriptions? <laughs> that brings up a point that I want to make about how later on the show, we're going to have Krista talking to us about the lyrics that she wrote out and Tori like went through them. But as we discovered in the line by line, there's so many different variations that no wonder like, hey, Jupiter comes back all screwed up in the booklet. She's like, I said it back nine times, but you were changing it all of those nine times. You know, you can't even decide. Yes. She said something different every single time. So that's, I think, what happened with the transcription. But she's like, whatever. I'll play it this way then. It's whatever. Like, yeah. I'm really convinced at this point. She's just, you know, yeah. in the moment, whatever comes to her, comes to I her. I guess. I also feel like this is kind of like if you were to ask a spiteful relative for a recipe and they give it to you, but they leave out a couple things so it'll never be as good as when they make it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I do with all my signature dishes. Rightfully so. Yeah, don't tell people what orange juice I use in my screwdriver. Jesus. historian, librarian, archivist, bulalist, Shay Stymac. Hi, Shay. Hi, Efren. How are you? Welcome back to the show. It's always so delightful when you're here. I'm so excited to talk to you about this song. Are you a Beulah fan? <laughs> I am. It's really hard for me to rank songs, mm. but it always sits amongst the top 10 for me. Really? Always? Oh, yeah. Okay, always. Good. Tell us why. Tell us how you got to know the song. Tell us about the day that you bought the single. I want to know all the dirty details. Okay, well, uh, when the single came out, it was September 15th, 1998. Don't I know it. Yeah. <laughs> she was actually playing at the Radio Alice radio station in San Francisco, which is where I live in the Bay Area. So a few friends and I went out there to just see if we would be able to maybe say hi when she came out from the interview and we went first to get the Jackie Strength single but we didn't have a CD player in our car so we weren't able to listen to it yet so when we got to the radio station we did wait for a couple hours I think and that in itself was just really fun just like the excitement like is she going to be able to come out is she going to stop and say hi to us and she finally did and there was I don't know maybe 10 of us out there just hanging out waiting for her and um, she was very excited that we had the single in our hands and we obviously had that signed and I didn't know either one of the B-sides yet Never Seen Blue or Beulah Land obviously but she was very excited to talk about Never Seen Blue and she told us the story about Mark's calves and that was what she focused in on and that she was just so in love with this yummy boy and his legs. And <laughs> I felt like in that moment when I think back and I'm like, even though I had met her a couple times just briefly, like in 96, um, just a hello, but I felt like 
she's my friend. <laughs> this is my friend telling me this like secret. <laughs> Every girl needs a confidant. Yeah. And you were it. So that was really cool. Yeah, that was really awesome. And when I was listening to you and David talk about the actual physical paper tray, mm-hmm. I totally agree. I hate Thank that you. packaging. Thank you. And it's signed, but it was also my single that I listened to all the time in my car. So it totally got damaged. Awful. Um, but I have since said it. I don't touch it anymore. I bought a new one that's crisp and clean and that's, you know, still wrapped. But that one is signed and it's it's special for me in that way. She said pristine. Yeah. yeah. So wait, I need to backtrack for a second. Mrs. Shea Stymack, you telling mm-hmm. me that she focused in on his calves when she was writing Never Seen Blue. Does he have blue legs? <laughs> I, I don't think that the song has anything to do with his legs. <laughs> now that you've told us what Never Seen Blue is about. I know, really. What do you think Beulah Land is about? And tell us why you love this song. I love this song i have no idea really what it's about um to tell the truth hey you and me both sister okay so it's riddles on riddles and it's also possibly just one of those in the moment here i am gonna sing some lyrics you know i'm gonna Mm -hmm. pick the samurai book up and read words kind of thing but then again i don't think so i think she actually did you know sit down and, and write these lyrics it seems like every verse is maybe its own little story or thought in and of itself in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how to explain it. But it's mainly the feeling that the song gives me. And it's her beautiful voice with her stuffy nose and her, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's so, and the gospel choir, just everything about it. I just want to climb into her brain. And I think that's what she was going for when she was laying this one down. But like I said, I have no idea really what the lyrics are about. I want to address what you're saying right there because recently, as of this taping, recently she was doing some ocean to ocean press and someone said to her, how you come up with these lyrics? Tell us this hippopotamus must stay anonymous for now. And she's like, you know, I don't even know sometimes what I'm saying. She said that about these lyrics. So I'm like, okay, we're sitting here spending hours and hours trying to really pick apart a song based on the lyrics when maybe the key to the song is in the voice or is in the sonic world or just the way she's saying something, not necessarily what she's saying. So I think it's possible that it, I mean, we always think like, oh no, it's so deep and she must have written it out. But I think there are times where, you know, it just is coming to her in the moment. Yeah. With this song in particular, I feel like this is the most Tori's taking us to church, the church in her mind, just with the sound and the musicality and the way that she sings it. Yeah, it feels like it's so familiar. Yeah. But it's so out of reach. Absolutely get that. (laughs) I'm going to say something to you I said to David earlier. Bear with me here. I believe this is a perfect blend of two songs because it's everything that Tori does well. It's Father Lucifer meets Home on the Range. It's a retelling of like a classic song, but really addressing the church. And I feel like there's elements of these two songs in this song in a way that only Tori Amos can do it. Because as we've explored already in this episode, Beulah Land is a famous church song. It's obviously known in the church. It's like a complete mm-hmm. Tory version of it. And that's, to me, very similar to Home on the Range. It's just mm-hmm. her telling of the story. What do you think? Am I off the I mo- totally... No, I... When you mentioned Father Lucifer, I was, it's got me thinking about how I was going to say to you, it seems like every other line pretty much in this song is taking you to a different deep, dark place. Maybe it's a scary swampland or think of like murky, foggy, scary place mm-hmm. <laughs> like that cabin that you know black dove january girl lives in or something mm-hmm. um 
when you marry that to home on the range, like that's the gospel choir and that's the warm home feeling at the same time. And it, I love when she does stuff like this. It's Tori at her best. <laughs> it's also like sister named desire too. And how like languid mm. it is in a weird way and how it's one of those songs that you never know what's going to happen next. It's always a surprise. Right. But at, at the same time, it's so familiar, mm-hmm. you know, for me at least it's like, Oh, this is my friend Beulah and we're going to go, you know, yeah. <laughs> take a scary walk, but she's holding my hand. So we're going to be okay. I love it. What else should we talk about? What else do we want to say? Well, I wanted to talk about how you might not think that she did have a stuffy nose while she recorded this song. Oh, that's interesting because I didn't hear stuffiness. But the moment you said that to me, I'm like, oh, yes, obviously. Like, because me and David have been constantly like, don't we like go really deep for Mm. some reason? It's because she's Mm -hmm. going really deep in a way that she doesn't usually because she's got her morning voice on. Yeah, well, but it's different than her morning voice that she used when she sang If Six Was Nine, right? Strange Fruit. Or Strange Strange fruit, yeah. But it's mainly, I hear it in the part, maybe around the 140 second ish part where she's, and it's also my favorite, like, musical and lyrical moment of the song where she's, I don't want to sing it, but. <laughs> Let's play it, Oliver. Oliver, roll it. Somewhere you're gonna get something here. So you're right in the middle, and then I'm here. Something is coming. She's so deep and so throaty and it's like, oh, yes, give me the mucus, Tori. Sing it to me. And the gospel singers also bring that warmth and just, I don't know. Yeah, it's a great song. Do you believe this was recorded in Pele in the church? I guess it had to be, right? Because of the gospel singers and I don't think that she would have brought them back a couple years later. What do you think? A thousand percent agree and that was the exact reason I gave. Okay. And also the way she goes off in that bridge is so 96. Yeah. Once she got married she didn't do it that way anymore. So I feel like this is 96 to a T. Follow Shay at Shay.Alyssa on Instagram. And Shay is everything to us. She runs our Wills and Wants game. She runs our show notes. She makes sure that we're like on task. Thank you for all that, Shay. <laughs> You're a good mother. Oh, thanks. I'm happy to be there for you guys. Two gay sons. <laughs> That's what I've always wanted. Yay! <laughs> Two boys. Two boys. <laughs> Thank you, Shay. Thanks, you, friend. Straight out of Kansas City, we have Krista on the line, and we are so excited to talk to her. Hi, Krista. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm so great. I'm so happy to have you on the show. First, let's start with your love of Tori Amos. How was it born? How did you discover her? And when did you start touring? Well, I discovered her, I'm going to say, when I was in high school, but I didn't really, like, become a hardcore fan, so to speak. (laughs) I'd say till probably my last semester in high school I connected with Under the Pink and fell in love with the whole album Yes Anastasia was my first like real song that I loved and 
I just dove headfirst. And that was that. This was before internet was widely accessible. I mean, this was mid-90s, and I didn't know anything about fans, just you know, the touring and all that kind of thing. So I saw my first concert in 96 with Do Drop In. I saw her in Kansas City, Kansas. Dang. And I remember I went to my local Barnes & Noble and went looking for anything I could find about Tori Amos and found that bio that came out, you know, a long time ago and some magazines. And that's just kind of where it all started. Right after I saw her in concert, that was it. She was my absolute favorite. <laughs> I'm going to take you back there. This is Kansas City, Kansas on June 13th, 1996. She started with Beauty Queen Horses, of course, and then jumped right into your first mm -hmm. signature song, Yes, Anastasia. Oh, God, head exploded. <laughs> Were you like, just so amazing. thrilled? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, well, this was all meant to be. <laughs> yeah. And so when 98 rolls around, you just decided you wanted to do a ton of shows? Mm-hmm. Well, I had met Thor on the interwebs on, I think it was AOL chat, <laughs> the, the music messaging group. <laughs> Sounds like Thor to me. And that whole group and just became friends. And we met in person, I think when she moved from Minnesota to Los Angeles on her drive down, she came through Kansas City and we met in person then. And so I think we were already making plans at that point to see shows. My big thing was going up and down the coast uh, California and seeing all those shows back to back. That was an experience. That was amazing. You know, and just getting in a car. <laughs> That's amazing. So you're on September yeah. 15th, you're up the coast of California. You're in Oakland when the single comes out, the Jackie Strength single, which has the song in question. Did you love it right away? I did. Absolutely. I loved I loved the B-sides. I loved the B-sides. Beulah Land was just, to me, it was just so beautiful and soulful, and it just had this aura to it. Just was something seemed so different from what I had heard from her, and I instantly just fell in love with it and was trying to figure out what is she saying, <laughs> and I think that's when I started talking to Lisa about it. I'm sure we probably were talking about the single and the songs that came out, and we were just both like, oh, Beulah Land, oh my God, and we were trying to discuss what is she saying here, and so I think we just started writing down the lyrics, if I can remember correctly. Um, so she wrote down the lyrics with Lisa B, and then had Tori go through them. What was that process like? Oh, surreal. Were you nervous? <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, a little bit. Yeah. I don't even know. I think I, I, I had them in my, you know, I was in front of the barricade and I had them in my hand and I was, you know, saying, Tori, my friend and I, and I don't even know if I said Lisa, I don't even know what I said. Um, I said, we love Beulah Land and, and we really want to know what the lyrics are. And I had them all written out. And I didn't think that she would spend as much time as she did going through them line by line. And she made her corrections wherever they needed to be. And um, I remember her saying something about the thumbs up part, that it was a dip song, mm. something to that extent. <laughs> I don't even think I knew what that was at the time. And she was singing some of them, too, and she was going through them. And she was singing them to you as well? Yeah, just a little bit, just kind of like humming or just kind of, you know, as she was going through the lyrics I had written down. And, yeah, she was just like right, right there in front of me. And it was so surreal and just amazing so i'm looking right now at the actual piece of paper that you wrote out the lyrics on and i love how you like purple mm -hmm. highlighted all the questionable ones you're like these are the yeah. real ones so yeah. i was making sure that i don't want to forget to 
ask her about this. Yeah. These are the ones we really are not sure about. So I have to highlight them. Otherwise, my brain is just going to be like not working. <laughs> so you even wrote out on this paper, I got something I'm not saying, which is so clear mm-hmm. to me that that's what she's saying. And even that first time she ever yeah. performs it live, the first time she performs it live, that she says very clearly that I got something I'm not saying. But yeah. here she corrects it to something in that sand. And I think whatever happened between you in this moment, I think she wrote in that sand and then just got it in her head mm-hmm. that that's what it was. Could be. Then put it in the lyrics book that way. And now ever since then, when she refers to her own lyrics book to remember the lyrics, it's just become in that sand. Mm-hmm. You did that. Yep. <laughs> I love how she writes because you had originally thought it was your beautiful home and she crosses out and writes whore. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got to find me a worm. A pl- and she actually uh-huh. adds the A. So got to find me a worm, a place worm to be. A place to be. Mm-hmm. This body on down. Interesting. I've listened to like all the Beulah lands. And sometimes she says bathe. Sometimes it's very clear that she mm. says, got to find me a place to bathe. Sometimes she says beat. Mm-hmm. Like beat this body on down. And then sometimes okay. she says be this body on down. So it's like all whatever in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the moment and it's all interchangeable. Yeah, so really who knows? Is. Like, yeah. Not trying to shock you, but 23 years have gone by since the release of Beulah Land. When you listen uh-huh. to it, if you were to seek it out right now, like if you were to play Beulah Land right now, what kind of mood would you have to be in? Like what, what does it mean to you now all these years later? Oh, I definitely have to pour a glass of wine with that. Oh, yeah? Because it's just one of those, yeah, it's just one of those songs that you just have to just tap in and kind of let take over, I think. Just tune into it. What's your favorite lyrical moment as the queen of the lyrics, as the one who took it upon herself to clear this up for the community? What's your favorite lyrical moment? Oh, gosh. Tell me when I don't need you anymore. Mm. What does that mean to you? I think when you really attach yourself to a person or an idea or a thought and if you can't let go on your own sometimes you need that extra push and I think that's what that lyric means to me is that it's okay that it's permission and then you can you can go so wow tell our listeners where they can find you online oh I am Anastasia on Twitter A-N-A-S-T-A-V-A same on Instagram Well, thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for doing what you did and keeping such amazing records. It's like this paper that I'm looking at is in a sheet protector and it's pristine. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It is being, yeah, Yeah. preserved for eternity as long as it's in my possession. Until the paper deteriorates in a hundred years. Yes. Hopefully never. (laughs) Hopefully never. But thank you so much for doing that and thank you for being on the show and let's talk again. Are you, well, I'll see you on the road. Yes. Okay, good. Well, let's talk about getting you on a tour all year so we can capture all your stories. Oh, yeah. Okay, definitely, good. Definitely. Okay. okay, bye. Okay, bye. There is a land so sweet and free And all the joys will soon be mine There is a shining light so bright There is no dying There is a land so sweet and free And all the joys will soon be mine There is a shining light so bright There is no dying 
David. Is this it? Is this Beulah Land? It is Beulah Land. I have done a swamp theme. I took the couches out and replaced them with rubber boards. There's all the tequila you can drink, but I've dewormed them all for you. Oh my God, there's Spanish moss in my hair. Get it off. Get it off me. Get it off. What you don't realize is the decorating budget on this show is huge. Massive. <laughs> we have to completely revamp the lounge every week. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this song live? Elusive she is. I've seen it more than I would have anticipated. Okay, okay. It feels like a pretty big rarity to me, but it's shown up at several shows that I've been to. Well, let's chart it. Tori Amos has played Beulah Land live only 17 times Mm. in her career, which, with the exception of Do It Again and Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, makes it the third most infrequently played B-side from this era. Okay, well, once we get past one and two, I feel like it starts to become meaningless. (laughs) Okay. Well, there's always a top three. We never do a top two. You always do one, two, three. That's true. Gold, silver, bronze. This is our bottom three then. So only 17 times. That makes it a, what is it, a gold rarity? Yeah. Right. Yeah, probably gold, not platinum, right? Like a platinum rarity would be like two or three times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a gold rarity. I don't know. We really need to come up with a system that we commit to. I know. We abandoned our ranking system or a precious metal system many episodes ago, but we can bring it back. I like a new one every episode to just keep people on their toes. This is a diamond Mm B-side. It's double diamond time. The first time Tori ever played this was in 1998 on the Plugged Tour in West Lafayette, Indiana on October 31st, 1998. It was the only time she played it on the Plugged Tour. And you were there, weren't you? No, I wasn't. Rude. I actually wasn't. It was Halloween. I'm not going to go to a Tory show on Halloween. I got plans. Well, I have a dear friend, as do you, named Lisa B. And that's who Tori played this song for. Lisa B was hunting this song for a long, long time. And... Lisa B does not want to be on the radio or has no interest in the podcast vertical. So I asked her to write a statement about this. Ready? Lisa B has released a statement. Lisa B has released a statement about the first time Tori ever played Beulah Let's hear it. I can't wait. It begins with, I know it was raining and she had a black faux fur coat on at the meet and greet. And she talked about Joe DiMaggio with Dor. Wait, wasn't David there for this? And I said, was he? Well, talk about bad memory. (laughs) She remembers you being there and you don't remember that. And she says, I swear he was, but maybe not. And then she writes the following. You're lucky I'm a bit of a sentimental hoarder. An old tour journal tells me that I wrote her a letter three shows prior, so Dayton, Ohio, according to the internet, and told her how much I loved the song. I skipped Louisville, I believe, so I saw her in Evanston at some really random venue that was literally a gym. Basketball hoops and wood floors. So bizarre. Not sure if I spoke with her or not there, but I asked in a note for Frog on My Toe for Cindy, since she was going home after that show, I think. Next day was West Lafayette, and I did talk to her about Beulah again. Just told her again how much I loved it and asked her if she 
was ready to make her debut yet, and apparently she was. Her debula? Her debula. <laughs> what if Tori was a doula debuting Beulah? <laughs> I feel like there's one more. The rule of threes. What is it? What if Tori was a doula debuting Beulah mashed up with Tallulah? Wouldn't that be Kula? <laughs> yes. After the fact, I heard Chris, very muscly, friends with Adam at the time, had possibly asked too, but I have no confirmation of that, and neither do we, so it didn't happen. Very muscly. That's the one thing she remembers. She's like, Tori, Beulah, I don't know, he was muscly. I'm sorry, those are the details I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Those are the details I asked her. There's some bronzed muscle man standing in that dusty corner of her mind. What was the physique like, though, Lisa? What was the physique? Mm-hmm. Anyhow, here's October 31st, 1998, the debut. So the lab's been away for a few minutes, and um, I'm just going to do a few things, just going to put it all together. We'll see what happens here. Sorry, I'm going to die on this cross. This is the first time she performs it live, David. And listen, she clearly says, I got something I'm not saying. Not something in that sand. You can't trust Tori Amos. Got something I'm not saying. Beautiful, yes? Mm-hmm, gorgeous. That's the only time she plays it in 98, and she does not play it any time in 1999, but she does bring it back at the very first 2001 show, a very surprising return, on August 30th, 2001 at Union Chapel. To me, it makes total sense because she's in a church. Totally. Roll it, Oliver. So she played it one time in that Union Chapel show, but then she plays it three times on the Strange Little Tour. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Y'all ready for this? This is October 2nd, 2001 in Atlanta, Georgia.
That was a request, actually, by Alicia Parker, who we talked to in our cooling episode. So let's have her read her own review. Hit it, Alicia. Hi, this is Alicia Parker, and I was going to read my review from Monday, October the 2nd, 2001, The Atlanta Show for Beulah Land. I actually predicted months before the show that she would play this and had a running bet with my mom, and I won. Being a Southern girl, Beulah Land has always been one close to my heart, and when she came back out for the second encore and said, this is for you guys, I knew she was going to play it. The bass came in real heavy at the got some candy part and she changed somewhere you're going to get something to somewhere you're going to find something. And she really belted that out. It seemed to me like she really poured herself into this song. And it was a very memorable performance. Were you in Atlanta, Georgia? No, were you? No. Were you in Oakland on November 12, 2001 when she played it there? I was not, but the show went on anyway. The show went on without you? Yeah. Awful. Rude. Well, then we won't play that. We'll play November 20th, 2001 in San Diego, the early show where I know you were, and I also was. Our first show. That wasn't our first show together. Oh, it was Denver, 99, right? But that was our first solo show together, I think. That's true. She played it closing the main set of the early show. She played it for Raven. Raven used to request it a lot. Rest in peace, Raven. Here it is. Scarlet's walk into Beulah Land, okay? Moo Moo. Scarlet's walk tour was definitely Moo Moo Land, though. <laughs> yeah. Her outfit screamed Moo Moo Land, but her walk screams Beulah Land. Her solo section screamed Beulah Land. <laughs> As it did on March 24th, 2003 in Omaha with an improv. <laughs>
never knew if that sign was going to light up or if it wasn't. She never knew. You never knew what was going to happen. The Scarlet's Roadside Cafe sign? Yeah. Sometimes it didn't light up? Sometimes it didn't, yeah. It was broken? Sometimes. Sometimes it didn't come down. Or they couldn't figure it out in the venue? Sometimes they couldn't hang it because there was not enough space. Right, right. So she played it one time on Scarlet's Walk and one time on the completely separate and different Lotta Pianos tour. And that mm. was August 31st, 2003 in North Charleston. The reason, let me address this once and for all, your grumbles. All right, grumbles. Let me address why it must stay separate in my mind. Are you ready? Because not only is it a different title, but on April 29th, 2003 in New Orleans, Louisiana, on the last show of the second leg of the Scarlet's Walk tour, I cried so much that that tour ended that night for me there. I assumed I would never see her again. I thought she was done forever. You know how we panic. I thought she was done forever. <laughs> how many oceans do you think you cried? 2,000. <laughs> 1,000 per eye. So that's why I refuse to allow these tours to be the same tour. It's actually connected to tour trauma. I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry you thought a tour was ending, but instead you were pummeled with like 500 more shows on a totally separate leg. Your life is hard. I accept your apology. (laughs) On August 31st, 2003, in North Charleston, South Carolina, she performed this with a Carolina improv, which was supposed to be on the set list. It was supposed to be Graveyard, but she did an improv instead. Here we Hmm. go. Why is that horse so beautiful? She did not perform this at all in 2005, but performed it four times in 2007 on the American Doll Posse Tour, the best of which was what we played earlier, Grand Prairie, Texas. 
on November 24th, 2007, but this is the last time she played it in 2007. This is December 4th in Portland. Portland. You were in Portland? Yeah, I was. What were you doing there? I was visiting some friends. Their names were Isabella and Tori. <laughs> oh yeah, I was Izzy that night. <laughs> Fine. Well, I was in Texas. <laughs> Who'd you get? Oh wait, was I in Portland too? I might have been there. What? I can't remember. You didn't even say hi? Oh no, no, no. I started in Oakland, the last nine shows. Oakland was the next night, right? In Seattle. Well, I started in Oakland, so I don't think I went to Portland that year. If not Tori, which doll would perform the song? Clyde. I think Santa. Really? I think Santa would take a stool, sit at the edge of the stage with a microphone attached to a wire, cross her legs and just sing like a lounge singer smoking a long cigarette mm. <laughs> and get real sexy. Mm-hmm. A smoky voice like Christine McVie. Actually, do you think Santa was at all inspired by Christine McVie? She's kind of like husky, sexy, world weary. I thought Santa was Debbie Harry. Oh. That's why I thought Santa was. I thought Isabel was Joni Mitchell. I thought Pip was Pat Benatar. I thought Santa was... Pip was Pat Benatar? Not even Joan Jett? Obviously. Obviously Pat Benatar. No. Like, Tori's talked multiple times about how she loved Pat Benatar. But Pat Benatar doesn't scream about schmegma, does she? That's true, but it's like Pat Benatar <laughs> filtered through Tori Amos. Love is a battlefield. You think... Love was a battlefield. You think you can hit me with your best shot? <laughs> heartache to heartache, fat slut. <laughs> I am curious to know who everybody thinks Clyde was, though. Please tweet at us, at Songs of Tori Amos, if you want to tell us who you think Clyde was. Suzanne Vega. She did not perform this in 2008 in Draniter, but she did perform it one time on the Sinful Attraction Tour on August 11, 2009 in Montreal, a bootleg of which we do not have. Does anyone and we just don't? I don't think anyone has it. Give it up, girl. She does not perform the song at all in 2010, but performs it twice in 2011 on the Night of Hunters tour. And here's the first time in Glasgow when Shargar asked for it in a letter. November 6, 2011. She plays it again in Atlanta. She loves this song in Atlanta. And this is November 29th, 2011.
not perform this on the Gold Dust Tour or in 2013 Caprice, but she does perform at one time on the Unrepentant Geraldines Tour Jerry, 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 Jerry. in Stuttgart, Germany on June 9th, 2014. She does not perform it in 2015 at all, but in 2017 on the Native Invader Tour, she plays it twice. The Native Invader Tour. And I was there for both of them. And you this was? Time, I was. I was there. November 12, 2017 in Nashville. This show is basically all about her mom. And this song, this is not the furthest south she went because she did go to Atlanta. But Nashville is the south. So I want to play first the intro and then I'm going to play a little moment in the middle, which is really great. <laughs> spot where she clearly says beat. And the last time Tori has performed this song to date was on December 1st, 2017 in Los Angeles. Roll that, Ollie. Yeah. 
see this on the ocean to ocean tour mm, we might it's hard to say we have no idea what the format for those shows is going to be but we did just find out it's going to be a band tour yes so i think it's kind of unlikely if there are precious few solo slots we might get it once you don't think we'll get a band work up a beulah land well maybe if it's mashed up with Tallulah the way we asked for it Okay, well, you, I'll let you do that. I'll let you... And I was not going to say waste. Use your request on that. Damn. Well, what are you using yours for? Snowblind on a band tour? Good one. Yeah. Snowblind with the band. Snowblind yeah. just the drums. Yeah. Acapella with just drums. Yeah, I am, David. Yeah. And Giants Rolling Pin, okay? So okay. there you go. Get out of the lounge. Pick up your board. Pick up your worm. Get out of my swamp garden. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the AMOS Live Lounge. Goodbye. Another one bites the dust. That was the end of Tordor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, how sad. We found something in the sand. You know, it feels nice to end our trip here in Tordor. It feels nice to end it in the swamp, like laying around, languid, you know, just taking it in. Yeah. Taking it all in. I'm just going to retire in Beulah land. I've had a lot of tequila. I don't know how to take that. Did you find the worm? I had everything dewormed for you because I ate all the worms. Oh, good. I had a thorough deworming. Yeah. They're the drunkiest part. You get the drunkest by eating the worms. Really? I assume. Otherwise, I ate a bunch of worms for no reason. Is it like a jello shot? The worm's been like marinated in tequila? Is the worm alive? No. no. The worm's not alive. He's drunk. No. <laughs> <laughs> He's wasted. Damn, how awful to be that drunk and then get eaten. I guess if you're going to get eaten, you might as well be wasted so you don't feel them chewing you. That God. worm is drunk. He's got a little hat on. He's like, my hat is a lentil. <laughs> He's party. He's kissing fans on the lips. That's how drunk he is. Oh my gosh, backstage, totally. Yeah. <laughs> He's a party worm. He's a party wormamol. <laughs> You're listening to Psycho Pomp Remix of Beulah Land, done by Brandon Hellman. We love it. I love it. Ooh, Psycho Pomp. Psycho Pomp. I feel like that is a spirit that whisks your soul to the afterlife. Ooh, take me, Psycho Pomp. Take me with you. I'm ready to go. I don't need shoes to follow, but do you mind if I grab them? We're going to wrap up this album in one more episode, and then we'll be done. The wrap-up? Are we wrapping up on the wrap-up episode? Yeah, we'll never hear that plugged sound effect again. This one? Ow! 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 Ow. We won't? No! We're done. 
how we had to say goodbye to Dewdrop Inn at the Dewdrop Off. Nothing will ever be as good as Honey Dewdrop Inn at the Dewdrop Off. <laughs> Bentley Helms, where are you? Tell me when I don't need you anymore. I know. Oh, Bentley Helms is our Beulah land. <laughs> Bentley Helms. Bentley Helms. It seems like such a shame that we only discovered that connection at our outro. I know. <laughs> we could have been talking about that all day. Let's redo it. No, we got to move forward. We got to get to space, David. I'm ready to see Dave Matthews' satellite up there. <laughs> satellite. If you like what we do, follow us on all our socials at Songs of Tori Amos on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us if you have a concern or a question or a comment at songsoftoriamos at gmail.com. You can sign up for our newsletter, which will begin to publish regularly in the new year, along with touring. That you can find on songsoftoriamos.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 323-296-9955. But if you really like us and you really like what we do and you really want to support our endeavors to make a time capsule for every Tori Amos song ever known to man in in chronological order and she's got thousands of songs at this point she just released 11 new ones then head over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos and become a supporter today there is incredible audio content new audio content at every level any level you choose to support us at you'll get new audio content so thank you for doing that and we can't wait to talk about the whole album on the wrap up once wasn't enough talking through the album track by track and doing a wrap up part one gotta do another wrap up i know we're gonna double bag it bilbo baggins it bye double baggins it in tordor anyway i hope you find beulah land david and i'll talk to you when you do Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamus.com.